Welcome to IB Talk, the leading podcast for the insurance industry across the UK and Ireland, brought to you by Insurance Business. This episode is presented in partnership with Manchester Underwriting. In the latest episode of IB UK Talk, Charles Manchester, CEO of Manchester Underwriting, and Graeme Trudgill, Executive Director of Viva, join us to discuss the recent difficulties brokers have faced buying professional indemnity and the challenges that are arising from regulation. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of IB Talk, the insurance industry podcast brought to you by Insurance Business. My name is Mia Wallace, Senior News Editor at Insurance Business UK, and I'm joined by Charles Manchester, CEO of Manchester Underwriting Management, and Graham Trudgill, Executive Director of the British Insurance Brokers Association, or BIBA. Many thanks to you both for joining me here today. So this podcast is going to be discussing the difficulties brokers have faced in buying professional indemnity cover that meets their requirements and those of the FCA, particularly during and post the COVID crisis, which brings to mind a major topic of concern and debate during the COVID period, which was whether COVID-19 claims against brokers were going to sweep the markets. With the benefit of a little hindsight, was this a worst case scenario that didn't materialise? Let's start with you there, Charles. Well, I don't think we've got through the pandemic yet, is the short answer. And I don't think the litigation um, has really even begun other than the test case litigation. We've had quite a few um, notifications by brokers under their professional indemnity policies. And a lot of these just don't look as though they're going to go somewhere. But we've had a number that are the beginnings of legal actions and that do involve meaningful amounts of money. Um, Whether they will end up being successful or not, I don't know. But I think it's going to be a while yet before we can say that brokers are out of the woods. But certainly so far, so good as far as I can see. Fantastic. Thank you for that. And would you have anything to add to that, Graham? Yes, I don't think it's been as bad as, as many commentators predicted. Um, we made sure we asked the Financial Ombudsman Service about the complaints levels that they'd received. And they advised that only 3% of the BI complaints were actually made against brokers and less than 10% of the 3% were actually hold, uh, held, upheld against brokers. So that's what 0.3 uh, of a percent. So we absolutely maintain our position that this was not a broking issue um, and we provided our members members with a robust form of defence should they need it as claims management companies will always try to uh, look to, to to make inroads where they can and there's a six-year window for them of course but uh, we genuinely do not believe to be this to be a broking issue and I think the stats so far support that. Well that's definitely some very positive news there thanks for sharing that Graham and looking across the market it seems that brokers premiums have increased much more than other professions I wonder, can you give me an overview of where brokers' premiums stand as opposed to other sectors and why they're being penalised by having to pay so much for their PI, let alone adding in cover for COVID-19? Well, I think that Charles would always tell me that uh, brokers' premiums were, were very, very low for, for many, many years, um, and particularly when there was you know, unrated capacity passporting in from Europe. But from, from our perspective, I think the increases in PI have affected all professions, particularly we see uh, fire engineers, for example, who, who need to do their work on um, surveys to get the, the, the cladding off the buildings, uh, the 
the, the, the high-rise residential buildings that we're seeing uh, lots of the, the difficulties with, you know, they're finding it difficult to get PI insurance at all. So I, I don't think that brokers uh, have been treated any worse than any other professions. I think it's a particularly challenging time for, for everyone, but I'm sure Charles has a lot of insight too. Well, I think um, firstly, brokers pay substantially less even now than many other professions. I mean, um, uh, I think Graham has picked on probably the most difficult of all professions there with the fire engineers. But um, I think it's safe to say that cladding contractors, um, even surveyors and valuers, um, are paying probably four or five times as much as insurance brokers in terms of rate. And so um, they're not being particularly picked on. What did happen with brokers, though, is that whereas other professions started to see increases in late 2018, and whilst their premiums between then and now have probably more than, or their rates have more than doubled, um, and in some cases trebled, I think um, insurance brokers didn't really see rates start to move materially until around the beginning of 2020, and the trigger probably was COVID which um, the, the, the start of the pandemic panicked a lot of the PI market and brokers then saw their 100%, 150%, 200% or even more in some cases rate rises happening overnight rather than over several years. And that certainly made them sit up. I think it was exacerbated by the fact that um, some brokers were dealing with insurers that were grossly underpricing the product. And so if they were moving from an insurer who had been grossly underpricing the product and pulled out of the market to one that has been consistently in the market and is pricing the product what they believe to be um, sustainably, uh, then they're going to see really quite a massive increase. And I think that that's what um, a lot of brokers uh, felt the pain from. And so I think it's more a case of how much pain they felt rather than necessarily how much um, how much uh, they were were um, were actually being charged. It's certainly an interesting time to be in the market. And of course, the FCA test case and the more recent AXA court decision on COVID-19 have gone against insurers and appear to be leaving brokers somewhat in the clear. Does that mean brokers don't need COVID-19 cover? Well, I guess Graham will have a view on this. Um, the, um, the FCA requires brokers to be insured for claims that may be made against them. If a broker can demonstrate that um, there is no possibility of a claim related to COVID arising under their professional indemnity, then certainly they can, they can um, probably get away without it. I mean, from my perspective, um, I, I've been a broker I've built businesses and you put years and years and years of hard work into building your business. You buy professional indemnity insurance, not just to protect your customers, to, but to protect yourself if things go wrong. And why you would even think of buying a policy that would um, potentially not respond to one of the biggest potential problems that the market has ever seen is beyond me. Um, and so not only is there a regulatory imperative that people should buy the cover unless they absolutely don't have any exposure, but it's just common sense as well. 
but uh, I, I imagine uh, Graham would have a view on that. Yeah, well, first of all, I think a big well done to, to you, Charles, and uh, the insurer CGPA that, that you often use, who uh, from the offset, we're going to provide COVID cover when not everybody did under, under Brokers PI. So well done for that. I think Bieber's position is to say to members that buy as much PI cover as, as possible, buy as much as you can afford, as much protection as Charles says. It's not just to protect your customers, it's protect you as well. As far as the FCA goes, there's kind of three angles to it. So if you look at my MyPre 3.2, which is, I think, what Charles has touched on, they say that firms must make provision for cover in respect of a claim for which a firm may be liable. So may be liable is that key phrase as a result of, of the conduct of itself its employees and its appointed representatives. But the FCA also go on to say um, that uh, providers, the actual insurers, should give, uh, should, sorry, should consider whether exclusions are consistent with their product governance obligations, including under Prod 4.2, whether the product is actually compatible with the needs and characteristics and objectives of the target market. And then they also go on to say that firms distributing the, the professional indemnity insurance will need to meet ICOB's requirements. So this includes the need to consider whether an exclusion is consistent with the needs of their customer under ICOPS 5.2. So I think our point is if a broker does come to the conclusion that they don't need the cover, then it would be prudent for them to document that, why they think that is the case, uh, why they're satisfied themselves that they're not uh, exposed and so don't need the cover. Some really great advice from both of you there. Thank you very much. And COVID has understandably taken up a lot of time and focus in the last two years. And I can imagine it remains one of the key dangers for brokers going forward. But including that, can you outline some of the key challenges that you're seeing facing brokers in the market today? Well, one of the key challenges in the Bieber manifesto this year is the is the risk of underinsurance. And uh, we did some work with the Chartered Insurance, uh, sorry, the Chartered Institute of Loss Adjusters, SILA, to look at the latest levels of underinsurance in the UK. And they advised that underinsurance was evident in 40 to 45 percent of claims and that the degree of underinsurance there typically varied by around 35 to 40 percent. And of course, that combined with a sharp increase in inflation um, means that repair costs uh, could be higher, getting materials uh, is it's taking longer, it's more expensive, labour's becoming more expensive. So it's certainly uh, one of the issues that a broker needs to consider when you're with your client at renewal, make sure you review that sum insured um, to avoid uh, the underinsurance exposures and any particular risks for, for, the, for the broker. But I'm sure Charles has some good points too. I think uh, Graham has hit the nail on the head with underinsurance. Um, we're, we certainly, with the recent storms, we saw a flurry of underinsurance claims against brokers. Um, claims arise against brokers, generally speaking, when a customer doesn't get what they expect from the insurance. In other words, normally in general insurance, it doesn't pay, or it doesn't pay as much as they expect. And Underinsurance is something that um, is easy to do um, because all you need to do is not review your sums insured for a period. It's not even that simple because particularly for things such as business interruption, calculating the sum insured may seem simple, but actually it does require expertise and even brokers can get that wrong. And so with the recent 
storms. We after that we saw a flurry of, of claims against brokers rising from uh, underinsurance. In one case, it was as much as eighty percent. And I think it's easy to achieve underinsurance um, either by not reviewing sums insured regularly. And here, brokers need to not just put it in their small print of a renewal notice, but they need to actually make it blindingly obvious to customers, which is probably one of the two most frequent causes of claim against broker, that they must review their sums insured. But the second thing is with business interruption claims, um, calculating the sum insured isn't as simple as looking at your turnover or anything like that. Um, brokers need to put in their professional expertise to explain how the insurance market reviews uh, 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 or looks at sums insured in these areas. And, and I think where brokers don't do that and don't do it as A, in writing, and B, quite bluntly with their customers, that's where you tend to see the problems arising. I think the other thing that arises uh, that, that makes me lie awake at night, um, probably more than anything, is the problem with um, large sums insured on property uh, insurance. This is where you get the total lost claims, and it's this that, that, you know, when you get a £10 million claim against a broker, and there are £10 million claims against brokers, then that's what pushes some insurers out of the market. It was, it's what creates a problem for the broker existentially, potentially, is that um, the first thing that happens with a large sum insured, a large loss on a, a high sum insured, for example, a fire claim, is that the insurer looks, they claw, they, they crawl all over it looking for ways of identifying a way of not paying the claim. And should they find one, then very often the client is going to say to the broker, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me that there was this warranty? Why didn't you tell me there was this condition precedent or whatever? And although the broker may say, well, it was in the policy, I did tell you to read it, that's not necessarily going to be enough, depending on the, um, the, the, the level of expertise that you might expect of the customer. And many customers, even with large property sums insured, aren't that expert in insurance. And simply telling someone to, to read their policy will very often not cut it in front of a judge. And so those are the two things um, that, that really need to be spelled out to, to customers is firstly, reviewing sums in short, getting them right, particularly for business interruption. And secondly, I think the, um, the, the, the property insurances is to explain, and also other insurances, but to particularly explain the implications of warranties and conditions and what customers need to do. Well, there's certainly a lot of food for thought there, and I know that this is an area you're particularly passionate about, Graham, but it seems to me that it's impossible to have a discussion like this without really digging into the regulatory piece as well. And how are Manchester Underwriting Management and Bieber seeing the changing regulatory world impact brokers? Well, regulation is a massive uh, theme for our manifesto this year. There are so many new things coming out of the regulator all of the time. It's very difficult for your average small broker to, to keep up with it all and stay on top of it all. But I think in regards to PI exposures, I do feel that regulation should be a force for good because good balanced regulation can have a positive effect through things like the senior managers regime, training and competence, so staff 
are doing uh, those professional things uh, that they need to do. They're, they're doing all of the um, prudent kind of checklists and things uh, that regulation kind of brings in. So ultimately, regulation should raise standards. And if standards are higher, that should mean fewer errors and emissions, which means fewer um, PI claims. But of course, I'm sure our members would be the first to say how regulation is affecting things like innovation and time supporting their customers. Um, and just the time taken uh, on regulation is incredibly challenging for them. I guess our concerns are where regulation potentially brings in new exposures. So things like uh, the consumer duty we were talking to Charles about. Um, Charles, you may want to elaborate on that. But if you compare the quality of the work that brokers do in 2022 compared to when I started my career in 1982, um, it's just a million miles better. And this hasn't been brought about by self-regulation. It's not been brought about by individual firms, um, some of whom are fabulous. It's been brought about by external regulation, by government regulation and it's made brokers better. Whether it makes them better risks from a PI perspective, as the market gets more litigious anyway and what have you, I don't know. But I think that some of the things that used to go on in the 80s and 90s are thankfully consigned to the past. The consumer duty, every time something comes along, I think everybody and the lawyers always foresee doom and gloom and the four horsemen of the apocalypse just over the horizon. Um, but the reality is that rarely have regulatory actions like this caused a sudden sea change in the um, incidence of claims. There was talk that the Insurance Act would lead to a lot of that, and it didn't really. Um, I think, generally speaking, people, they're obliged to, and so they do embrace regulatory change. And um, and they do what they need to do. And so I, I think it's unlikely to cause a major issue for the market. As I said in the earlier points, I think that the, the things that um, brokers need to worry about are, oddly enough, the same old things that they needed to worry about 10 years ago and 20 years ago. And it's recording the stuff that they do um, in writing. It's telling customers, explaining customers, not assuming that they know what they're doing with insurance, but explaining what they need to do. It's what brokers are paid for at the end of the day, is to give advice. And the areas that cause the biggest issue aren't regulatory changes or anything like that. They're the basics, and the very basic things, reviewing sums insured and, um, and explaining the complexities of insurance to your customer and then confirming it in writing. And those two things... If you can get those right, then you're going to be way, way ahead of the, the, the pack in terms of keeping out of trouble. You're absolutely right. It certainly seems to be a case of getting those basics right at the beginning. But given the complexities of the market, what does a PI policy for brokers need to do from your perspective? Well, I think it's not just what does a policy need to do. Most PI policies, more or less, 80, 90 percent of them are more or less the same. Um there are some, some extras, but whether they are needed is another thing. But uh, there are certainly some extras. I mean, for example, the FCA requires that um, insurance, PI insurance, should not exclude the insolvency of insurers, but many PI policies do. 
likewise, I think it's not so much what's in the wording. It's the key things with a PI insurer for me. And it certainly used to worry me when I was a broker arranging PI insurance is, is what is the not just the financial rating of the insurer, but what is their willingness to pay claims? When a claim arises, whether it's PI or come to that any other line of business, do they say, that's what we're here for, we'll pay that claim? Or do they say, hmm, are you sure you notified that in time? Are you sure that um, you we, we can't find a way out of this claim? Um, and the other thing is, how long have they been around? Because with brokers PI, because it's so easy to get it wrong. You can write it with a relatively modest amount of the premium income for two or three years before you encounter the large loss. Um, because these large 10 million pound claims, they're not very common, but I can tell you when they arise, they don't half hurt. And where it's an insurer that is running at sort of 70% loss ratio, net loss ratio, on their attritional business and they think they're making money and then along comes a seven-figure claim uh, and all of a sudden it wipes out all the profit they've made in the previous three or four years, then they pull out of the market. And so you do get insurers coming and going quite regularly with PI for brokers because brokers more than any have these this large loss, any other profession have this large loss potential. And so I think the, the other question to ask an insurer is how long have you been writing brokers PI? And in CGPA's case, as uh, uh, Graham mentioned earlier, as one of the, our main backers, um, they've been writing it for almost 100 years, and that's all they do. And so these, these questions, it's not just what should a PI policy do, it should do. Yes, it should cover COVID. Yes, it should cover insolvency of insurers, uh, or not exclude COVID, or not exclude insolvency of insurers. Um, but you should also look at the attitude of the insurer there. And, um, and whether they, they're going to be willing to pay these large claims or deal with them and whether, how long they've been in the game. Over to you, Graham. Thanks, Charles. Well, Bieber has taken Brokers PI really seriously, so much so that back in 2004, we started a professional indemnity insurance initiative for, for brokers. So we've put out a series of guides. I think we have six guides covering all sorts of things from sort of the basic introductory to, to PI, guides for staff, guides on risk management, specific guides on under insurance. So all sorts of um, support there. But also we looked at uh, what was the ideal policy wording? And then we've got three accredited PI brokers, of which Charles is one, to support members in providing them policies that are suitable for, for their specific needs um, so that we can have that comfort that when it does come to that 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 claim, which hopefully won't happen, but will happen on occasion, they will take the, the first approach that Charles mentioned, that we're here to help you pay that claim. And ultimately, it's for us, it's about brokers getting covers suitable for their needs. Um, and that differs from, as you can imagine, a personal line to motor broker to a, a big BI commercial broker. So, uh, so yeah, um, uh, have a look at the, uh, the Bieber Professional Indemnity Insurance Initiative, and there's lots of resource there to, to help you. I think as well, the, the other thing that we do um, is we don't just see it as our role to pay claims, but it's our role to defend the broker. And in an ideal world, that would start with keeping them out of the firing line in the first place. And so, so we provide a service to, to our insurance where they, when they feel that there is a, a, a vulnerability, where there's something going on they're not happy with, it may not even lead to a PI claim against them. 
Say, for example, an insurer, there's a, a, a sizable loss of an insurer reserves their rights. Well, that's always, when an insurer reserves their rights under a claim, that's always a bit of a, a, a worry. And we provide legal support for them at this point when they can speak to a lawyer. And I don't just mean the helpline. They actually get proper help from a qualified lawyer drafting letters, trying to persuade, or emails, trying to persuade insurers not to um, reserve rights and to provide indemnity. And if they can be successful there before the insurer is entrenched and in some sort of lit- litigation scenario, if they can get the insurer on site at that point, then they can avoid the possibility of a claim arising against them in the first place. Because at the end of the day, the best result is if the customer's claim is paid. And so um, so we'll do it there. And that won't affect their claims record. Um, that's part of the service. Um, obviously, if a claim is later laid against them, we'll, well then, then we'll deal with that as well. But um, we, we, we want to head these things off at the pass and, and avoid having a, a claim in the first place. If that can't be done, then we are there to look after them and defend them and um, hopefully keep them away from liability. It's great to hear about that very proactive and reactive response, certainly. And it's it's also very clear that Manchester Underwriting Management and Bieber have a real wealth of experience in, in helping brokers navigate this landscape. And I wondered if you could tell me the best way to get in touch for brokers who are looking to find out more about the PI space. Um, from our perspective, come to Bieber.org.uk or, or give the Bieber team a call. And um, there's a section on the website in the members section called the Brokers Professional Indemnity Insurance Initiative. And it's, uh, a, as I say, a wealth of information, guides and then links to the accredited brokers like Charles, who uh, can then um, you know, guide you on, on that journey and, and help you find the, the cover that you need. And from our perspective, uh, just come to ManchesterUnderwriting.com. And um, or speak to anybody at Manchester Underwriting and, uh, and they'll look after you. Fantastic. And slightly off the beaten track of this conversation, but while I'm here in the company of two industry stalwarts who have both had remarkable careers, I must ask if you were starting over in the broking sphere today, what are the key things that you would do or do differently? Well, from our perspective, I think uh, the first thing is clear to join your friendly trade association. So uh, sign up with uh, sign up with Beaver. But um, there are so many things to do. Um, I mean, we actually have uh, an insurance broker standards committee and that committee has a good practice guide. And that good practice guide has uh, a whole chapter on it about starting an insurance broker. So in there, there's all the things that you need to think about. So whether that's creating your articles of association to doing a business plan, sorting your tobas and your staff sales scripts and template letters or your complaints procedure, there's, a, as I say, a whole list of things. But if it's specifically about how do you keep UPI exposures to a minimum in your new broker that you've started it's i think the, the things you know, having a checklist uh, so make sure your staff you know, are doing all the things remembering to put that person on cover all the things they're supposed to do you know, pointing out that question about uh, when did you last review your sum insured th- those kinds of points um but also 
you know, there will be allegations of errors and omissions. So core recordings is a really good thing, a really good practice to, to implement if you can. It's been a lot easier these days. So you can evidence if it ever came to court that you did advise the client of, of the particular issue and always document that activity as much as possible. It can all be used uh, in your defense if you need it. And I'd probably say that old fashioned thing of, of peer review. You know, we still do that here at Bieber. Someone drafts a press release and gives it to someone else who would do a read out loud check, as we call it, to make sure that it makes sense. There's no errors and um, we can all be comfortable that what we're putting out um, is going to be, be helpful for, for people. So, uh, so yeah, there's a lot of resource uh, on, on the Bieber website under our um, Insurance Brokers Standards Committee. Yeah, um, well, having joined Bieber, I think um, the other thing that I would do is probably record all my phone calls. And you can get apps these days that can um, even do it where they're mobile phone calls and transferred in um, and record everything you do, confirm everything in writing. And, um, and I think they're the key things, really. Um, obviously, the sums insured and the, um, and the, the warranties and conditions precedent, etc. that I mentioned earlier. But I think that's part and parcel of being a broker. But I, I think the key things starting as a broker today that I would do is that. That's a lot of really great advice there from both of you. And I must say, I've really appreciated your insights, your expertise and your company today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. OK, thank you. Bye bye. Fantastic. And for everybody listening, many thanks for joining us. And I look forward to welcoming you back next time on IB Talk. Thank you for listening to this episode of IBUK Talk. For more from the team at Manchester Underwriting, visit them at manchesterunderwriting.com. Thank you for listening to IB Talk. For the latest episodes, be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher and Apple Podcasts.